Okay, so uh, this morning we continue our series. In James, as I've said, uh, faith that works over the last few weeks, so the last eight weeks to be precise, we've been thinking about what it looks like for you and I to be both faithful and fruitful for God in light of God's faithfulness towards each one of us. And that's the, that's the truth for each one of us. There's no way that we can be faithful to God unless we first understand God's faithfulness towards each one of us. And we have flown through this series. It's felt like it's went really fast over the last eight weeks. We have two weeks left. So this week we're thinking about a doing faith. And next week, Jason's going to be looking at an undefiled faith, an undefiled faith, which is the next passage. And just to give you a wee heads up, July, we're going to be thinking about pray like Paul, pray like the Apostle Paul. Um, and we're going to be thinking about what it means for you and I to imitate the Apostle Paul as he sought to imitate Christ through his prayer life. So there's many, many prayers throughout the New Testament, through Paul's writings. And we're going to look at these prayers and examine what it means to pray like Paul. Um, that will take us right up to the end of, of August. And then we're back into our First Corinthians series. And that will take us right up until Advent. And then it's Christmas. I hope you're excited about Christmas. Uh, this morning, as I said, I do in faith. So we're going to take time to look together at James 1 and 22 to 25. So James 1 verses 22 to 25. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to this passage. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. So James writes this, starting in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Let's just pray for a moment. So Father, we just, we just read these words right now, and we pray that you speak. We pray that we would be open. We pray that we would hear and we would do in light of what this says. Amen. Um, as we begin this morning, uh, I want us to really come to terms with the fact that action is everything. Action is everything. Action is at the very heart of human life and human flourishing. So we cannot begin thinking about this idea of a doing faith without first coming to terms with the importance of action, of action within our lives and in the world and in every part and in every area of our lives. You and I would literally not exist if it wasn't for action. Uh, I hope I don't need to explain that any further this morning. Um, the house or flat or the accommodation that you live in today, it came about because of action. You dwell inside something that's a product of action. So someone decided to design the building. Others were given the task of actually building it. And all of this was acted upon. All of this was completed. You would literally not have a roof over your head if it wasn't for action. We gather here today as Denison Baptist Church. Uh, this church has been going for 171 years. 171 years. So get, get your head around that. Um, action has played a huge part within that. People decided over that 171-year period to keep investing and serving, investing and serving. And what were they doing? 
They were doing, they were acting, they were acting, they were acting. And to make that point even more relevant for us this morning, uh, two of the seven ladies, we didn't start back in 1851, but two of the seven ladies were here back in 2015 when we first started this church replant. And they've been here for a long time. They've been here for a number of years. These guys are an important part of this 171-year legacy. The church would not be here if it wasn't for their faithfulness. So, action. We see it here. We see it within the life of this church. We see it in buildings and houses and flats and accommodation we live in. We see it by the very fact that we exist. And we live in this incredible in this incredible world, let me just ask, do you ever stop, do you ever stop and ponder at the wonders of creation? Do you ever stop to think about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made? Think about our own bodies uh, for a moment. All of the different gifts, all of the different abilities that we have, we really are fearfully and wonderfully made. And how have we managed to live as these incredible human beings in this incredible world with this incredible opportunity to be all that we were designed to be because we all have these in this incredible potential before us. How have we managed to do that? What I'm asking this morning is this. How did this all come about? How did this all happen? How did we exist and how are we present day existing? Well, through action. Through action. Genesis 1 in verses 26 to 27, have a look at this. It'll be up on the screen for us. We read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Now notice from this passage here that God said and then God created. God said and God created. Which underlines this morning the deep and undeniable connection between the word of God and the action of God. When God speaks, he acts. And when God acts, his good and perfect will becomes reality. Action is so important because action is so integral to who God is. This particular example of creation ties in with our passage this morning. Because when you and I act according to the word of God... There's a little echo of Genesis chapter 1 going on here. When we do in light of and under the authority of God's word, in other words, when we have a doing faith, then his good and perfect will becomes reality for our lives. So we all have this opportunity to respond with obedience to what God's word says. And this will change us as individuals. This will change us as a church. This will more and more make us into the people that God has created us to be. And more than that, it will also do something else. Something incredible happens. See, when you and I obey the word of God, we're living as God created us to live, and this will shine a light to a lost and broken world. So people who don't know Jesus, they'll see something in us. As we choose to obey God, they'll see Christ in us. They'll have an accurate picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And without question, that's missional. That will draw people to Christ. It won't just be what we say. It will be who we are. We'll demonstrate Christ through our actions and also through our words. So let me just share a bit of testimony this morning. And maybe you can identify with this. The reality is that often obeying God, living in light 
of and under his word can, let's be honest this morning, it can be extremely difficult to obey God, to live in light of his word. It's not easy at times being a follower of Jesus. And nowhere in scripture does it say it's going to be plain sailing for any one of us. But from my own experience, I know that every moment of obedience, every single moment of obedience in my life has been for my absolute good. I know that. Deep down, I know that. At the time, it might not feel like that, but deep down, I know that every single act of obedience, as I choose to hear the word of God and then do it, has been for my absolute good. How can I say that this morning? Well, there's very obvious blessings that we receive when we choose to follow what God's word says. I really do reap what I sow. And I often see God bless in undeniable ways, ways that I can only ever attribute to God when I choose to follow his path. And then there's other times when I discover that if I follow God's word, if I choose to walk according to what the scriptures say, I know there's going to be suffering. I know it's going to be difficult. I know that in the present day, in the present moment, there's not really going to be any blessing behind this decision to follow God's word. But I can rest in the fact that this is a good thing because this is what Christ did. Christ obeyed and he suffered for his obedience. Whatever the experienced outcome of my obedience is, if it's blessing or if it's suffering, I can hold on to the fact that God is pleased no matter what. <clears throat> and you can as well. So no matter what it is you face, no matter what it is you experience, if you have the opportunity to obey God's word and you follow through with that obedience, most important of all, you can know that God is pleased with you when you choose to do that. So you're not called to try and work out this particular outcome. If I obey God's word here, then this might happen or this might happen and therefore I'm not going to do this or therefore I am going to do that. We're not called to try and work out the next five or six steps. All we're called to do is to obey. That's our remit. That's our call. And God will lead us accordingly. And God will be pleased with us when we choose to hear his word and to do it. This is more than just obeying a rule. Uh, this is a wholehearted commitment to God and his cause. Because of God's wholehearted commitment to each one of us. Tim Keller says this and what it means to be holy and in particular to be obedient to God and his word. So let me just share this and I hope you just capture what Keller's getting at here really as a means of us understanding that obedience is not just obeying a rule. Obedience is really us saying to God, I'm all yours. So Keller says this, at very best, people think of a holy person as somebody who keeps all the rules. Don't you see this goes so much deeper than keeping all the rules. Holiness is an attitude of the heart in which you look at God and you say, use me. This is a tremendous clash with modern culture. In modern culture, you're supposed to be independent. You're not supposed to let anybody use you. But that's the antithesis to this. A holy person is someone who looks at God and does not say, just give me the rules and tell me what the rules are so I can get to it. No, a holy person is someone who says, I belong to you. I'm set apart for you. To be holy means to be holy his, to wholly belong to him. That kind of picture is one that's a powerful example of what it means to follow Christ. A person who loves the Lord in that way 
is a person who hears the word of God and who, who does it consistently. Because we understand the philosophy behind it. We understand why we're doing it. It's not just about obeying this rule and obeying that rule. No, we're saying to God, before we even start into action, we're saying to God, I'm wholly yours. I'm wholly yours. Use me, therefore I'm going to live in this way. And this will draw other people to faith in Christ when people see this, as I've mentioned already. It will bring people to a place where they see what you have and they'll want to have what you have because they'll see peace, they'll see purpose, they'll see joy. The author and pastor Jim Simbola describes this. This kind of moment where we choose to walk in line with God's word is a perfect place. And it's a perfect place of provision. It's a perfect place of purpose. It's a lot of peace here. It's a perfect place of power, provision, purpose, and power. Meaning that you might find it difficult. You will find it difficult to live for him, but take heart. You'll never feel more alive and you'll never know and experience his love more deeply. You'll never be more effective on the mission field than when you consciously choose to hear the word of God and do it. Why? Because you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. So that's just my first point. Action is everything. Action is everything. And what we're thinking about this morning is action that lines in with Scripture. So it's not just any action. It's actions that, that tie in with what God's Word says. And as we look at this passage this morning, we can't help but see this opening word, but. But. And this word, but, is a connecting word. It links James's two thoughts together. The two thoughts being what he says in the previous passage, what we looked at last week, and what James starts to unpack in verses 22 to 25. So, so we can't separate James's train of thought here. We need to hold verse 21 with verse 22. So let me just suggest we read verse 21 and verse 22 together. Just the, the last part of verse 21 and verse 22, and it'll be up on the screen for us. So James says this, Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it actually makes a lot of sense when we read it like that. James is saying here, receive the planted word, hear what it's saying, but be really careful, brothers and sisters, be really careful that your receiving and hearing of the word of God doesn't just stop there. You have to let it flow into spirit-filled action. It has to result in something, something tangible. A number of years ago, I was listening to a preacher from the States, and he spoke about a concern he had as he went around and he spoke at different places and within his wider network, he would speak at different locations, at conferences and at churches. So he would travel all over the States, speaking at these different places, and he would find that he was seeing and engaging with the same people at these events. And much of what this preacher said had been replicated in all of these venues, so there was absolutely no need for one person to attend all of these different venues. But again and again, the same people were still turning up and they were hearing the same message again and again and again. And his concern was this. He couldn't say for definite, but there was a very good chance they had turned the hearing of God's word into some kind of pastime, some kind of hobby. They were attending these events, these Christian events, these Christian conferences, and they were just receiving, 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 but they weren't actually putting it into practice. 
We'd given all our focus over to hearing. We'd forgotten the need to do. We'd become consumers of the word of God rather than conformers to the word of God. The preaching of the scriptures had become a form of entertainment for them. And so we kept attending, 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 and hearing, and hearing, and hearing, and doing, doing, doing absolutely nothing about it. Now, before you judge these individuals, is this not a trap that you and I can fall into as well? Is it not very possible that you did absolutely nothing about last week's message, or the week before that, or the week before that, or the week before that? Is it not very possible that you sit here this morning and God knows your heart, God knows what's going on within your life, you have absolutely no intention to follow through in what you hear this morning. Is that not very possible for each one of us? It doesn't matter how much we might try and fake it this morning. We can come here and we can present this Christian thing before other people. He sees through all of that. And he sees the fact that you and I potentially are not doers of the word. We're hearers only. And by default, we have deceived ourselves. So ask yourself a question this morning about your life. What's actually going on? What's going on in your life? Are you responding to what it is that God's word says? Or have you become spiritually numb to his word? We thought about last week, spiritual earwax. Do you have spiritual earwax in your ears? So much so that you can't hear what God's word says. So much so that you're deaf to what God's word says. Are you thinking to yourself, I'll disobey, but it's okay, God's going to forgive me anyway. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's not Christianity. It's not Christianity. That kind of attitude is a massive red flag. So you need to ask yourself this morning, do I really understand what it means? Do I really understand what it means to follow Christ and to wholeheartedly take up my cross and follow him with all that I am. I think we all have a potential to carry this problem. And the problem is this. Most of us would want to hear what God's word says. And most of us would want to then do what God's word says. But the truth of the matter is we fail to do it. Because we find our joy. We find our satisfaction in other things within this world. We love other stuff. Our affections are in other things. More and we love and have affection in Jesus and all that he has done for us through the gospel. And so even though we may hear the word of God, we will not do it because there's a greater and there's a grander treasure that sits within our hearts. So again, let me ask, what is it that you treasure within your heart? What is it that you cherish? When you go to bed at night, are you thinking about Jesus? Or are you thinking about something else? Don't sit here this morning deceiving yourself into thinking that you wholeheartedly treasure and cherish Christ because we all have a propensity within our lives to treasure and cherish something that isn't Christ. When James speaks here in verse 22 about deception, we can be certain that it's more than us just not acting and not doing correctly. It begins with the heart. It's a motive inside. So we choose to be hearers only in our heart before we're hearers only with our hands and our feet and our actions. So before we ever decide not to do something, we've decided in our hearts not to do it. 
And James continues to unpack what this looks like in verses 23 to 24. So he says this, uh, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what, what kind of person he was. And here James presents us with a picture of what it looks like for you and I to hear the word of God and to consequently not do anything about it. So he uses this picture, pardon the pun, uses this picture of a mirror to help us understand what this actually looks like for you and I when it comes to hearing the word of God and then not doing anything about it. Now mirrors back in the day of James were not like mirrors we have today. So with mirrors today, because I made a crystalline, we have an almost perfect depiction of who we actually are, physically speaking. And I don't know if that's a blessing for you. Um, as you can see, it's an absolute blessing for me. So in James's day, it wasn't like that with mirrors. They were not as accurate as they are today. So mirrors were this kind of polished bronze or copper and they would often produce this kind of warped depiction of who you actually were. So the closest modern day example I could give this morning, if you've ever been to a fairground and you've been to that room with the squiggly mirrors, and what's comical when you go into that room is the fact that the mirrors aren't an accurate picture of who you are. And that's what makes that a funny experience because it's not who we are. And with actual mirrors in ancient times, the polished bronze or copper were like a milder version of those fairground mirrors. They were created and designed to be as accurate as possible, but they so often weren't. So there was bits out, um, and it would make your earlobe maybe a wee bit bigger. Your eye would be going for a wander at different points. So you would have to move this copper and bronze, and you would have to keep working until you got the most accurate picture of who you actually were. It took some time to really see who you were in the mirror. And that's really important for us this morning as we think about this description that James gives us. Because when the CSB translation speaks of looking in a mirror in verse 23, it can also be understood as consider. Consider. So as people in ancient times considered their own face within a mirror, by getting to grips with this copper and trying to work out what you actually looked like, in any given day, we also have to consider, we also have to get to grips with the word of God and come to terms with what it actually says for our lives. And this will involve us in a similar way. We're wrestling with the text until we have an accurate picture of what it means and what it's saying for our lives. Because when we read the word of God, we're not just reading the word of God, we're applying the word of God directly into our situation and our context and saying, okay, if that means that, then what does this mean for my life? So James here is highlighting the absolute absurdity of finally getting to grips, coming to terms of what you look like in a piece of polished bronze and then not doing anything about it. You finally have this accurate depiction and then you choose not to do anything about it. This is like a person who comes to terms with the word of God, who really understands what scripture says and having understood what scripture says, decides I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to respond in any way in light of what I've grasped. The essence of the experience of looking in a mirror is that you see who you are and then you see who you ought to be. That's really our experience. Anytime we look in a mirror, we see who we are and we also see who we ought to be. And in the same way as you read God's word, 
we see who we are. We see how much we fall short. And we see who we ought to be also. We see, okay, this is who I am. This is what God's word says. I need to be like this. I need to walk in this way. The absurdity in both examples is that when we see who we are and we see who we ought to be and we then do nothing, we do not respond with action, this is the part that makes absolutely no sense. Makes no sense. If you really understand what God's word says, it would make zero sense to then read that, to understand it, to come to terms with that in your heart and then do zero about it, do absolutely nothing about it. So James wants us to hold on to this picture of someone looking in a mirror. And what he then does is contrast this bad example with a good example. So have a look at verse 25. We read these words from James. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So the perfect law of freedom, the perfect law of freedom, Give God thanks today that you and I have the opportunity today to fix our eyes on the one who is perfect. Thank God today that, that we, we are imperfect. Everything around us is imperfect. But today we have the opportunity to fix our eyes on the one who is perfect. What a gift. What a tremendous grace towards each one of us. James here is speaking of the commandments of God when he speaks of his law. But in another sense, he's speaking of Christ himself. It's perfect and that it's God's law, which includes all of the Old Testament instruction known as the Torah. Central to that is the Ten Commandments. And it's perfect in that Christ is the perfect fulfillment of that law in the Old Testament. He's the one who's achieved all of that for us. So you and I don't look at this long list of commandments in the Old Testament. You and I look at the one who has achieved that long list of commandments within the Old Testament. His name is Jesus. This was God's perfect plan all along. He created this law that was perfect. He knew that we would be imperfect. And so he came to earth to show us what it would look like to, to live a life that was perfect in light of his law. And he came to earth to fulfill this law by taking the punishment for each one of us by dying on the cross for our sins, so that we are no longer bound to this law. Instead, we are bound to Christ. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, means that we can now respond in faith and say, Jesus is Lord. And because of that, God the Father looks in me, looks at me, looks on me and sees Christ. This was God's plan. This was his purpose. This is a pathway that allows you and I to be right with God. So what does that then result in? If we really come to terms with this perfect law, then as James says, it's a perfect law of freedom. We experience freedom. We'll be free to no longer live for sin. We'll be free to live for Jesus. And be assured that joy and freedom always follows a careful walk down this path towards Christ and to all that he has for us. Have a look at what Barclay in his commentary in James uh, says around this passage, as it ties in with freedom, liberty. Barclay says this, the law of liberty is the pathway to true liberty. Only when we obey the law of God do we find true freedom. 
When human beings obey their emotions or desires, this is when they become slaves. Accepting the will of God is when we become free. For then we are free to be what we ought to be. God's service is perfect freedom. And in doing his will, we are free. That's true for us. We're no longer bound to live according to the world. If we're in Christ today, then we're free. We actually experience this freedom. This is not just a a kind of head knowledge reality for us. This is something that we experience in our hearts. So I wonder this morning, have you ever experienced that kind of freedom? A freedom that says, I'm wholly his. He's Lord of my life. I'm not tied to any expectation of this world. I just want to live for him with all that I am. Maybe worse than that, maybe you've experienced this freedom of Christ and then you've went back into your sin and you've followed this habitual pattern of rejecting God and you found yourself again enslaved to the things of this world. James wants us to see, as Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not be bound to a yoke of slavery because it will get us nowhere. We won't have contentment or peace or joy in our lives. Brothers and sisters, what are you enslaved to this morning? What are you enslaved to? What are you bound by? What are you bound by? Do you trust that God will set you free from that so that you again can have a life holy and fully for him? James is doing something really important within this passage. He's wanting us to see the difference between these two examples. So verse 23 and 24 is one example. And verse 25 is the second example. And in verse 25, um, he speaks of a person who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. So he's speaking of a person who looks directly into God's word and a bit like that mirror who really understands what it says. And in verse 23, James contrasts this with someone looking at his own face in a mirror. But it's not really a contrast because this someone really understands what his face looks like. And so in that sense, In the first example, the person also understands God's word. So in both examples, there's a similarity. They both understand and they both have an accurate picture of what God's word says. And we can say his point in all of this is that both of these individuals have a clear and accurate picture of who it is God is calling them to be. They both see, they both understand, they both know. And the contrast, therefore, is in something else. The contrast between these two examples is how they then respond as a result of seeing and knowing and understanding what God's word says. So they both get it. They both come to terms with God's word. But the difference is how they then respond to what God's word says. So in verse 25, we read that this individual is someone who perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. And... In verse 24, the exact opposite. It's someone who looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. The point of difference is in how we respond to the word of God in light of what we understand from the word of God. What do we do in this moment? How do we respond? Do we, as James in verse 24, immediately forget? Or do we, as James says in verse 25, Choose to be someone who is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. In other words, when you read God's word, will you be faithful 
or will you be forgetful? Will you be faithful or will you be forgetful? This is a question that God asked his people throughout Scripture. And we see this very clearly in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read some passages. They're not up on the screen for us. But just see the importance of not forgetting, of remembering God's commands. So in Exodus 13.3, we read these words from Moses. Moses says this, Remember, don't forget, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. It's the first example. Numbers 15.37-39, we read these powerful words. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them that throughout their generations they are to make tassels, this visible reminder, tassels for the corners of their garments and put a blue cord on the tassel at each corner. These will serve as tassels for you to look at so that you may remember, you may remember all the Lord's commands and obey them and not prostitute yourselves by following your own heart and your own eyes. That's the reality for us. If we forget, we are prostituting ourselves to the things of this world. Deuteronomy 6, 12. We read these words again to the people of God. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. So remember, remember, remember. Do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. So if you and I want to have a doing faith, we must remember. We must remember and persevere and what his commands say, and then follow through with that remembrance into spirit-filled action. When Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane, so he was put on trial before Pilate, he was flogged with a lead-tipped whip, he was put on a cross, which led to his crucifixion. What, is, what did his disciples do in that moment? How did they respond to the suffering that their Lord and Saviour faced? They didn't remember. They forgot his promises. They forgot that Jesus had told them all of this was necessary. All of this would come to pass. And they also forgot that Jesus was all powerful. That he had sovereignty over all of this. They forgot and they fled. In Denison Baptist Church, are we not the same? Do we not forget from time to time the promises of God? Do we not forget from time to time who God is? Do we not forget God's faithfulness towards us when it's really difficult and when it's overwhelming for us? We forget and we so often flee. A doing faith. It's a faith that remembers Jesus. It's a faith that remembers his word. And it's a faith that then acts. As we close, let me just take stock for a moment of what it is that Jesus says about hearing God's word and doing it. And this passage is quite incredible. It's in, very, in many regards, it's very, very similar to what it is that James says. And there's a very good chance that James had known these words and then applied these words in a different way in what he wrote. So Jesus says in Matthew 7, in verses 24 to 27, I'll put it up for the screen. And this can really, this can be our, our challenge and prayer as a church family as we come to terms with what God sent us. Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So this morning we just want to create some space for all of us to respond in various ways. I'm aware of the fact that you've maybe never made Jesus Lord of your life. You've never made that decision to say, God, you are sovereign over all and I'm going to put my full and complete trust in you. If that's you today, then do speak with me after the service and I would count it a privilege to pray with you that you might come to know and experience his grace. Perhaps this morning you're going through a really difficult season in life. Like we always do, we always want to create space for you to respond. Um, so if you are finding it difficult at the moment and you would like prayer, then don't miss out on this opportunity. This is why we're here as a church family. We don't come here just to pretend everything's okay. We come here recognising that life is tough and we need one another as a church family to pray for each other. So if you're finding it difficult, if you're feeling overwhelmed, then do speak with me or speak to someone you know and trust. This morning, we also believe in a God who heals. We worship the God who can and who does heal. So if you are suffering today because of a pain or an illness, then we would as a church family take some time to pray for you, knowing that God has his very best for you and what it is you face. So again, speak to us if that's you. And as we respond and worship, we come to this table and we recognise that God has been abundantly, abundantly generous towards each one of us. Through this table, we see that God has acted, he has done, and it is finished. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We come to this table and through this simple act, we recognise the powerful act. What he has achieved for us in the cross means that we can have life and life in all its fullness. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread, we drink this cup. If we love the Lord today, we come to this table during this time of worship and we recognise how good God has been to each one of us. That should cause us to rejoice, to remember, to celebrate all that he has to us. Let me pray and then Ron's going to lead us with a few songs. Uh, Father, we, we thank you that, that you call us to this doing faith, that you call us to this doing faith, knowing that we cannot do this by ourselves. We need your power. So Lord, would you help us to hear your word and to do it. Lord, would you equip us in every possible way. Lord, would you guard us from the things of this world, from the attacks of the enemy, from the lies that we have believed, which take us away from your perfect plan and purpose for our lives. May we have the courage and the confidence to step into your will. We pray that you bless us as we now respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.